Welcome to Grounds for Discussion, a book club podcast for the average Joe. Welcome to Grounds for Discussion. I'm Becky. And I'm Laura. And today we are talking about the book Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. So this should be an interesting discussion. Laura and I don't usually talk about what we're going to be discussing uh, in the podcast, but um, when I thought of this idea last minute to have somebody on with us, (laughs) she was (laughs) very supportive of that. So (laughs) um, this book, just so you all know, has some very deep theological things that uh, we want to discuss, but um, we felt like it would be kind of cool if we had somebody on that could help us talk about these things. So we asked our brother Dan Price if he would join us. So Dan, say hi. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Hola. Dan is um, currently the assistant to the director of international ministries at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And he is also an adjunct professor at my alma mater, Baptist Bible College. Well, it's not called that anymore. Clark Summit (laughs) University, but I'll always call it BBC. (laughs) Um, And he has also... I kind of forgot that, Dan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's right. You're a prof. I I, I kind of forgot that. Just barely. Don't ask my students. (laughs) (laughs) You show up like once a month or something, right? I mean... Um, so anyway, Dan, can you, um, just introduce yourself a little bit and maybe tell us a little bit about your family? Sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, Becky's already given you my, my, my resume basically. Um, (laughs) so I've been a pastor for, uh, many years and it's only recently that, uh, the Lord has kind of directed us into ministry with, uh, the friends of Israel. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty incredible the way it's all worked out for us um, as God has kind of had his hand on our path. Um, and I, I've really enjoyed being able to be a part of um, ministering to, to Jewish folks uh, and sharing the gospel all around the world. We have personnel all over the place, and I get to be a, a part of managing and, and creating the vi- vision for, for how we're going to uh, take Christ into all sorts of different places around the world. So that's that's what I do right now. And um, my family, uh, my wife is Megan, and I have four incredible, loud, crazy children. Um, <laughs> Ten, eight, almost six, and just turned three yesterday, my baby girl. Yay! Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um and uh and i'm excited to be able to be with you guys yeah we really appreciate you being with us because well i'll tell you why i really appreciate it later but (laughs) because we sprung it on him last second (laughs) yeah that's true yes yeah (laughs) so um this book that we're going to be talking about is um the first in a sci-fi trilogy and we kind of wanted to put it out there that there the books aren't always going to lend themselves to a dessert because Dan usually we do a dessert and we talk about coffee so we felt like this book didn't really have anything that we could you are know, you kidding make or, yeah yeah 
you, you, sh- you have a dessert at the ready, don't you? <laughs> well, I, you know, I was thinking like a, 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 a fish souffle of some kind. Or... <laughs> ah! Ah, darn. That sounds horrifying. Okay. <laughs> but we, oh, my word. We, we do want to know... Um, what you what your coffee preference is because we have to talk about coffee. So. Uh, that's that's it's gonna fine. happen. That's fine. Um, <laughs> my coffee preference today has been called binge. I drank six cups. Hmm. Okay, all right. <laughs> so awesome. so, no so that you can stay no up till eight. So you can stay up till eight p.m. to do this. Honestly. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> Exactly it, isn't it? I am currently drinking sleepy time tea to try to counteract all the coffee. (laughs) It's going to hit in the middle of the podcast and you're just going to like. (laughs) Oh, my word. That's awesome. Six cups. I'm sorry. I'm I'm ruining, ruining your theme here. No, that's all right. No, definitely not. <laughs> we have our, our yeah. own, you know, preferences, so you're good. Yeah. Why, what are you guys I drinking? Actually, Did you, are you... Well, I, I tried something new today called um, Ooh. Death. Uh, oh, what is it? Oh, I forgot the name of it. Something about death. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> Death, death by coffee. <laughs> it's got like a skull on the front. Have you ever seen this brand? <laughs> I, you know, I think I have actually. Okay, I think I Is have it like seen that. Pirate well, coffee. It, I, um, uh, it's it's coffee for your <laughs> your pirate you friends. Pirate it's got a coffee. skull and crossbones on the cover. I mean, skull, skull yes, and crossbones. Are. It is. You you may have drank rat poison, but okay. Um, well, yeah. it, it was delicious. Whatever. <laughs> it's the most delicious rat poison. I am poison. not the only one who will keel oh. over in the middle of the podcast, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it's a Well, very, was it good? It, I liked it. It was, it's a very dark roast. So. Okay. Um, but I still had two cups. So, you know, it, it was decent. I would. All right. I would recommend it. What about you? Well, I actually, um, I Ben, I, I sent Ben to the store for some coffee like last week because I was out, and he brought back something called, I think it was called Ethical Bean. Oh, is that a thing? I have heard I don't of know. this. Yes, I've seen it. Okay, so yeah, it was called Ethical Bean, and I will say it's, it was not bad, but it's not my absolute favorite because, um, like, I felt like when I opened it. You could already kind of see the difference because, like, I don't know about you, but, like, when I open, like, okay, I'm just going to say it. When I open a bag of Pete's, yeah. like, <laughs> the the smell that comes off that thing and then, like, the the um, color and, like, just the, the shininess and, like, mm. the, yeah, I mean, and usually, even at the very bottom of a bag of Pete's, I'll find maybe one bean that's not incomplete, like, okay. like that's kind of broken yeah maybe one or two and this one kind of had some bits and pieces and oh, they just okay. it just wasn't super shiny and stuff and i felt like it, it no. wasn't quite and i did feel like it didn't taste quite as good huh. you know but it was it well, was still decent it's it was ethically nice. made obviously so pete's must be selling their soul <laughs> to the devil <laughs> uh, exactly 
So, I, you know, I'd rather drink junk and know that I'm not selling my soul. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Is it a party at 8 o'clock? I, honestly, I think I prefer 8 o'clock. Really? Ooh. But, okay. yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, and I actually, you know what else? I, I tried something else. I forgot. I tried, um, he also got me this, like, you know how you can get all kinds of stuff now in the store where it's like a bottle of pre, pre-made, pre like, oh, yeah. oh, cold brew or, or yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like Starbucks says there are espresso shots and all this different stuff. Well, he got me one of these things kind of like that, but it was some brand I'd never heard of and I, I couldn't even tell you what it is right oh. now. But it was supposed to be like coffee, but with... Um, like, no added sugar, no blah, 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 added protein, like, all this stuff. And I got to say, it was not good. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> you had some... That's uh, a lot of build-up for a terrible cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting Sorry. that. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I, I, you thought was that was going the other way, didn't switch you? there, Laura. <laughs> well, you got to bait and switch Back it to the while, fish souffle. You know? <laughs> So fish souffle, <laughs> souffle. Um, okay, but yeah, I was not a fan. I was not a fan. Okay, well, good to know, I guess. But um, don't get those. We're we're They're gonna spare you, Dan. We're gonna move on. Okay, we'll move on. Now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really quickly wanted to give my perspective um, before we hear you brainy folks talk. So oh boy. <laughs> there are. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so there's. A... Well, do, Beck, do you want me to talk about like kind of what happens in the book? Oh, sure. Yeah. Is Why that don't you give a like just a basic first? Yeah, just a little basic, you know, thing for, you know, if you haven't read it and you're listening, that's fine. Um, but the, it's actually, and it's actually a fairly short book, but I don't know how long it would take mm-hmm. people. But anyway, um, it, the book centers around a guy named Ransom who is actually a, um, I can't pronounce it, but like he's some kind of language <laughs> professor. It's like philological or something. <laughs> Philologist. Oh. That, there it is. There it is. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> and so he kind of on accident ends up being kidnapped and taken to um, another planet, which you find out after a while, um, is Mars. And, um, of course, this book was written, I believe, in the, like, 30s. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's, it's rife with all kinds of stuff. It's really fun. But anyway, so he's taken to this other planet, and while he's there, he meets another race of um, intelligent beings that God has also created on this other planet. And, um, I mean, as far as, like, the actual plot line, there's not a ton that happens. He's taken there against his will to be given over to these, you know, human-like creatures because the people who brought him there think that they want to sacrifice. And so he he learns a ton and he grows a ton on this this voyage and he actually ends up making it back to earth so that's kind of a just a basic synopsis but it's so much more than that (laughs) that's yeah yeah that's that's just the the very basics okay of the plot so all right this question is for dan right i have to give a little background here before you answer me but um so (laughs) some people might automatically like take away some concepts from this book like 
you know, with the deeper perspective. Um, but I actually found this quote by C.S. Lewis where he apparently was talking about how he was really amused because hardly any reviewers noticed any spiritual dimension to this story at first. <laughs> and he was quoted as saying, any amount of theology can be smuggled into people's minds under cover of romance mm. or popular fiction without their knowing mm -hmm. it. And <laughs> when I read that quote, I was like, I was alone, but I was like, silently raising my hand like uh that's kind of me like did I, you actually raise your hand tell me <laughs> please tell me you actually raised your hand at one point i did i was like come on that's now. awesome <laughs> <laughs> i love it but okay so that's here's amazing the thing i think you know that there could be a lot of people like me out there like when i was reading it i was like okay this is C.S. Lewis. Mm. I've read C.S. Lewis before. I know he has like these deep theological concepts, mm -hmm. but I just was not getting it at first. Like I was a little bit lost until I started doing research and I started like okay. that was after I read the book. And I know everyone's brain works so differently, but because I, I was reading him, I was like, okay, there's more here. So yeah. I guess what I'm, you know, asking is for someone who comes at it like, I did when I first started reading it. Um, uh, where do you start with this book? Like, <laughs> um, with the theology behind the writing, mm. um, would you, like, do you have any advice for people who are reading it, but they're, or haven't read it yet, but they think maybe I'd be a little bit lost with this book? Um, um <clears throat> Yeah, no. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so, and I'll ramble for a bit and see okay. if uh, I answer your okay, question. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, um, I love that quote. I had not read that quote from C.S. Lewis before, yeah. but um, he, I think he's absolutely right. I think that, yeah. um, number one, I think that um, everyone's worldview or the way that they interact with truth and the world around them um, I think everyone's worldview comes through, especially when they're creating art. Um, and, and I think that um, every movie you've ever watched and every book you've ever read is trying okay. to convince you of that creator's worldview, um, okay. whether intentional or not. Sometimes it's more overt, sometimes it's not. Um, right. But... Uh, with C.S. Lewis, obviously, he is trying to, to get you to think about certain themes and truth. And, and uh, for him, right. he's writing from a Christian perspective. And he was an author who, who enjoyed a good allegory, um, as opposed to yeah. his best friend Tolkien, who yeah. apparently hated the idea of his work being considered <laughs> allegory. Um, but, but yeah, he's, Didn't know that. he's trying to, to teach you. And one of, one of the things that um, is cool about C.S. Lewis as an author, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to, say, a theologian or an apologist or a medieval literature professor, um, <laughs> his, <laughs> what's cool about him as an author um, is that he's, he's working to do that. Like, he, he wants to, um, to, to try to... Um, to, see, he's he comes out of the school of romantic thought from from the late nineteenth uh, 1900s and 
uh, or excuse me, 19th century. And so he, uh, he believes that that story and that myth and that, um, that these things convey truth on a, on a very important level for him. Um, I, I like one of his quotes that says essentially that, that myth, um, uh, myth doesn't necessarily have to be untrue for it to be meaningful. <laughs> um, that sometimes myth is just as much true as it is myth. Um, so he, he's, he's got a whole bunch of interesting things about how story conveys truth and how art conveys truth. Um, and he's certainly trying to use it that way um, to get you to think right. about the stuff that he wants you to think about. If you don't read any of his other stuff, he'll smuggle stuff in through story. Yeah. In yeah. fact, he might argue, and I have no idea, because I'm not a C.S. Lewis scholar or anything like that, but um, he might actually think that story um, conveys truth uh, better. He, he could be from that school of thought. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think it, and I think it probably depends on the person too, because for me, um, I, I definitely find that to be the case with C.S. Lewis. Um, I, I, I feel like, um, he writes in ways that the theology almost jumps off the page for me where I, I feel like, oh my word, he totally just made that make sense in a, in a, in a narrative, you know, like for me, I, I, I'm always fascinated by how he does that because it's just, it's there, but it's not in your face. Yeah. It's just part of the yeah, story. Think, you know? I, you're and, right, Laura. And I, I think that, yeah, go ahead. that um, for folks who have, um, have that experience where it kind of jumps off the page in your face, maybe it has a little bit to do with um, how much you're aware of C.S. Lewis's theology and thought and preference for allegory um if, if you know that yeah. he's doing yeah that, possibly then you're more likely to to see some of those things jump off the page and if you know some of his pet yeah uh pet True. subjects and theologies and and things like that then then you're more likely to see some of those things in his work um maybe, hmm. maybe that's yeah part of what it is huh? yeah yeah Laura, what was that one book that I feel like I read it and then I had you read it, but it was C.S. Lewis and it was, it was, um, allegory. Uh, uh are you thinking of, you're not thinking of The Great Divorce. No, no. Um. Okay. Uh, oh, it was, um, oh, it was, it was a myth. It was uh, a retold we all myth. Have faces. Um, till we have faces. Yes, yes, yes. Till we have faces. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I love it. I felt like maybe I saw a connection in those two, the way that he wrote that book and this book, uh, which is so interesting. Beck, because that I was the opposite on that one. Really, Where that one I really had to look hard to try to find. Okay, what he was until the very end, where yes. for me it kind of came together. And I was like, okay, yes. But throughout the book, I was I was sort of struggling. Like, what? Huh. Is he going, you know, like well, I, kind of couldn't. In both of these books, you know. I felt like there was a little bit of an aha moment. Like, oh, this is, you know, when he was, um, when Ransom was talking to um, the, um, oh, I can't think of the name. Oh, but when he. Oh, Yarsa? Yes. When he was talking to him. And then at the end of the other book, I felt like there was this big moment, you know. So I feel like. 
Yeah. You know, in those two areas, I saw a similar um, writing, mm. you know, well, that, a way of writing. I, I think that might be kind of some of the underlying um, influence, uh, his his mythology, his desire to, to study and understand yeah. mythology. Because actually, Till We All Have Faces is... Um, mm is a retelling of the the greek myth of cupid and psyche um so yeah he just which i wasn't familiar with before i read that book so i kind of had to go back and go okay because i'm i'm not i don't know a lot of i know some greek mythology but i don't know a ton so i so i know that there was you know a lot of that coming into it but i wasn't sure where that started and supposedly the theology started and where the all the you know kind of i i had a little more trouble piecing yeah, that, that one that one is mm. is a tough one as far as c.s lewis work yeah. goes yeah that's but man i love that ending it's just it's it's a it's mm. a home run i just love the ending mm. um but okay becky you brought up oyarsa so let's talk about oyarsa am, am i saying that as right as far as i, I know <laughs> Um, so, I mean, who, who would you guys say that he is? Like, who do you, who do you think this being or, or what Mm. is this being? Who or what is he? Beck, what do you think? Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well. Who's going to go first? uh, Because of, (laughs) because of my research, uh, you know, a lot of things said that it pointed to, um, you know, angels, um, the reference to angels. But part of me, when I was reading it, thought was like, is this the Holy Spirit? Like, I, I, I Mm. couldn't figure out exactly what kind of being it was. Mm. So, and um, this is why we had you on the show. Okay. Like, so. Okay, so so tell me, just just say something. You're leading, you're leading the blind here. Oh, boy. Well, uh, it might be the blind leading the blind. Um, so, uh, there, the book, D- doubt it. in the cosmology of the world that he's creating, there, um, it, it, do you mind if I kind of back up a little bit before I answer the question about Oyarsa? Yeah, go for it. Um, so, sure. uh, this is the way that I like to think about it. I'm not sure that he's ever bluntly stated it this way. Um, but the, the world that C.S. Lewis is imagining in this trilogy um, is, is different than our world in that um, for, for Christians who, you know, read and understand and, and, and um, believe the Bible, um, we believe that all the wor- all the universe was affected by the first sin of Adam and then also Eve. Um, so we we believe, based on Genesis three, that the entire universe has been affected by sin, by that rebellion, um, that attempt to live in independence from God. We call it the fall, and the Bible talks. Um, a lot of a lot about how God's work over the course of all history is not just the redemption of men and women. Um, God is working to redeem all things. It says in Romans eight that that um, even the very creation itself um, is 
is anticipating its own redemption, the day when uh, the sons of God are revealed and everything is put back together the way it was supposed to be, and the curse of sin is removed, and all the universe is perfect again as God has redeemed it. Um, so, so we believe that all of the universe is, in a sense, cursed and fallen and broken and not quite the way it's supposed to have been because of the sin of mankind and the ongoing sin of mankind. So um, C.S. Lewis, who, who famously said, when people don't tell the stories that you want to read, we're just going to have to go tell them ourselves. Um, <laughs> he's yeah. uh, I love he's, that one. Uh, imagining a world, a universe, where the only part of the universe that is sin-cursed and fallen is Earth. And the rest of the universe is unfallen. It's unaffected mm -hmm. by sin. The internal mechanisms and regulations of the, the sentient beings on all other worlds um, that he imagines God may have created uh, are not fallen. Um, they are still in a state of innocence, it's called, as Adam and Eve were prior to the fall. So all of these hanau that, that he imagines on these other worlds um, are like in a version of Adam and Eve in the garden prior to the fall. Um, and um, so if you, if you see the universe um, through this artificial lens that he's creating, it's, it's a hypothetical universe that he's creating. Um, that's not his theology necessarily, yeah. I don't believe. Um, he's, he's just setting up a story that tells um, he's setting up a universe, a world, a world building that, that tells the story that he wants to tell. So um, he's imagining, what if we're the only ones who are messed up? Yeah, what would it look like? Yeah. That's basically yeah. it. That was a lot of words just to say that. Yeah. See, this is what happens when you get a preacher in. <laughs> preach it But we actually... So... Yeah, exactly. But we actually want to anyway, know. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so back to the, the uh, uh, Oyarsa. Oyarsa. I can't say it now either. Um, so he, he keeps all of the same... Um, basic cosmology of a Christian worldview, he, he still imagines the heavens from kind of an Eastern perspective of the heavens, where the heavens constitute the atmosphere of Earth, but then also beyond the Earth. Um, and the space itself is considered the heavens. You remember Ransom at the end can't call it space anymore. Yes. Um, Right. And he imagines that the heavens are the abode of angelic beings and God himself, um, who he calls in this the old one would be uh, the father. And yeah. Maladil would be Maladil the, the young, I believe he, he calls. Um, yeah. That's his adaptation of, of the son, Jesus Christ. Um, so each planet is supposed to have its own... Oyarsa, um, and each planet essentially has some kind of angelic being who is uh, a rank of angels higher than your average Adil, um, which is another the the reimagining for angels for him. That's the terminology he uses for an angel, and Adil, which 
which is a really interesting um, way to get into some of his angelology, um, what he believes about angels. I was, um, was going to say, what does that mean? I'm assuming that, I mean, L, but what does Dill mean something? Uh, well, as far as the, the, uh, the Hebrew goes, no, I'm not, I'm not sure that he's necessarily playing on that level. He might be. Um, okay. But I, I think he's just going, um, he's using interesting terminology in order to, to rename stuff. Um, I, I'm not sure that okay. it goes that deep, the allegory, but it, it might. Who knows? I'm not sure. I mean, after all, he is a linguist and he, he does like languages. So he may, may have done some of that. But um, yeah, so the, the angels, the Adil, all live in space and the heavens. And uh, um, their interaction with the physical world um, is not simple, not easy, because of their, their uh, existence outside of physical and material things. And so he kind of imagines them, them moving at a very fast pace. And that in order to slow down enough for humans to be able to see them, um, they're, they're, they're uh, interacting with the spin of the planet and they're interacting with the speed of the solar system moving through the galaxy. And, and it's like every angel that is in the story is trying to find the right pace to, to stay alongside a human long enough for them to be able to interact with the light enough for them to see them. Which is just a really cool concept. I, I find that that very yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. And some of that's just pure science fiction. The Bible doesn't really give us any indication that that's necessarily true. But um, but it's an interesting world-building uh, little tidbit. Um, so anyway, so every planet has its own um, rank of angel higher than your average angel called an Oryarsa. And the, um, the one from Earth, um, I don't know... I don't know if you guys do spoiler alerts, but um, the oh, we do. <laughs> <laughs> or no, we don't. I'm sorry, we don't do alerts. We we do do. Okay, we have okay. spoilers. Yeah. So yeah, we do. <laughs> go um, go ahead. You're good. <laughs> the one from Earth they call the bent one because the the language on on Malachandra doesn't have any concept of sin. Remember, they live in innocence. So uh, the bent Oryarsa from Earth, uh, who is in a war with. Um, uh, the old one, is a figure for Satan. Um, and mm -hmm. that's why Earth is silent. It's been cut off from the rest of the heavens by its own choice. Um, and uh, so that, or, or Yarsa, even in that, that last final scene, well, not final, but near the end, um, when Ransom is looking at, at this depiction of the solar system, and there's pictures of different Oryarsas over each yeah. planet, um, and uh, yep. the Earth one has been scrubbed out, like scratched off of the off of the picture, because um, because mm -hmm. he's he's rejected uh, the old one's uh, supremacy and you know made Earth fallen and cursed and and sin cursed. So um, so that's you know I'm not sure I caught that it was scratched out. I, I don't know mm. how I didn't catch that, but I didn't even catch that that was scratched out. I, I remember him looking at it yeah. and him sort of making the discovery well, that there was, maybe I might you know, have, might be, all I, these honestly, when you guys told you know, me that I was going to do this, I was so mad that I didn't have my copy <laughs> of, because it's at my office and I couldn't get to my office, but, um, so I'm, 
But I'm also not super great at pictures in my mind as far yeah. as very detailed type things. So sometimes I struggle a little bit with his um, descriptive, mm-hmm. yeah. like, narrative. I do, too. Where or... I'm kind of, like, trying to envision what he's he's trying to describe. Yeah. And he actually even references that a little bit when he says you can't know what something is. Uh, you can't mm-hmm. see something um, correctly until you know at least something of what it is. Sure. <laughs> he says yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. You even see that same thing in the fact that that Ransom um, didn't even recognize the humans when when they were brought in front of him. Right. Because he was so used, like his his whole brain had gotten used to the idea of the the Hanau who lived on Malachandra. Um, So he didn't even recognize humanity when he first saw it again after, you know, weeks or months worth on the planet. Um, You're yeah, I kind of liked that moment where he was like, oh, my word. Mm-hmm. OK, it, it, it's it's two men. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I really thought that was interesting. He sort of got almost this really cool chance from to another see perspective. himself mm-hmm. from. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I liked that. So, Dan, I do have a question that. Um, so this world is supposed to be like without sin. There was a part in the book and I didn't write down where it was, but I'm sure you'll probably know what I'm talking about where, um, where they're in the water and the serpent or snake or something comes out of the water Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. kills someone. And I'm just curious what you think about that, uh, part of the book, because, To me, it seems like that, I don't know, I, th- I think of it as, I think of death and killing mm-hmm. as a result of sin, mm-hmm. but this is supposed to be a world without, you know, yeah. without yeah, sin. That's... So what did you think about that part? Or like, can you shine any light on that? No, that's a, that's a really good question. And honestly, I'm not sure that I can give you a satisfactory answer. Um, okay. Because uh, death in the book is is a really interesting theme, um, yeah. both the fear of death and and the actual existence of death. Right. Um, it is a is a really odd theme because um, you're right. You pointed out my my contradiction um, <laughs> that, that I'm I'm proposing that he's imagining a, a world of innocence. Yeah. Um, where the people are, are living in innocence and that, that sin has not cursed them. Well, um, and in the case of the, I forget how to say it. If I had the book in front of me, I'd figure it out. But the Hanak, Hanak Rao or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Whatever yeah. that ser- yeah. serpent thing is. Um, I, I can't remember. I vaguely remember there being some reference um, to that thing, maybe not being native to that world but i'm not sure okay um i mean Hmm. it does it does say that the um the race the the fourth sentient race that was um living on that planet that uh uh, they died out at a time during the the rebellion from the bent one from Mm. from earth Mm -hmm. um and that the their their cities and their world their their habitat on the planet had been devastated during the rebellion so i can't okay. remember for sure if that serpent shark thing yeah. um is also a reference to that like in the same category of having been 
as though that that sin slash evil slash presence is on the planet as a result of sin that came from outside the planet. It could possibly be that. I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, but if it's not, it, it still doesn't matter. The, the problem of death is still a theme in the book. Yeah. Um, that yeah. the, um, you know, how can there be death? Um, right. if they're, they're living in innocence right. and, you know, non-sin cursed. Um, mm. well, I'm, I'm not one, I'm not sure how absolute the, um, the extent of earth's sin curse is that, mm. that it's just reserved for earth alone and hasn't had any effect anywhere else. So I don't know. I, he, he had, didn't, didn't really define that necessarily. Right. That's my my summation of his world building. Um, So maybe he does envision some effect of the, of sin on earth everywhere else in the universe. Um, But clearly the, the people living on, on Malachandra are supposed to be living in innocence. They themselves are not sin first. They don't even have a word for sin. Yeah. Uh, They don't even have a word for sorry. (laughs) Um, Right. Right. So, uh, so I'm not sure Either, either death is still seen as something that is a marginal impact from what has happened on Earth, or um, this was also an interesting theme. All of the species of sentient beings on Malachandra um, have this moment in conversation with Ransom, each of them kind of differently, and once with Aryarsa, where... Uh, they essentially say, look, you guys are too afraid of death. Death yes. is supposed to be yeah. something that is not feared because you go to live with the old one and with Melody. Yeah. And and it's like yeah. you go to heaven is the idea, yeah. right? So right. why right. are you all so afraid of death? Um, mm-hmm. and almost as though he's trying to normalize it in his cosmology. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whereas I'm not sure that his theology yeah. would necessarily agree with that. It might be a device for the storytelling. Okay. Um, I mean, I know for myself, from my Christian perspective, from what I understand in the Bible, death is not natural. It was something right. that was introduced as a result of the fall. Um, right. And, and it is not something that I personally consider to be a normal part of human existence. It's an artificial part of human existence. Mm. Um, and yet there it is. It's still there. Yeah. Um, so I'm, that's so interesting. I'm not sure where his own, where C.S. Lewis's theology is there. Um, but it's, it is a bit of a contradiction. So I don't, I I don't know. I I can't answer your question very well. Okay. Well, that's, I just find that so interesting because that's something that Ben has always, um, we've talked about often the idea of, um, death, being or not being any part of the natural order that God created as it was good in its original form, mm-hmm. because in his brain, he keeps saying, but what about like, um, uh, you know, the body's fun- the body functions as, you know, cells have to die in order to regenerate and this kind yeah. of thing. And, um, and I was like, well, maybe that's not how we were built originally. <laughs> maybe something, yeah, maybe it worked without. Yeah you know, molecular or cellular, you know, um, that kind of thing or, you know, so that's something that we've always, we've talked quite a bit about too. So, um, I just find that really interesting. Yeah. That kind of take on it. Like, you know, well, yeah. And I, you know, and I think personally, I mean, we might be getting too far into the weeds of, of, uh, 
theology here, but um, I don't know where C.S. Lewis fell on all this stuff. I, I know. Um, yeah. I know that he was at least marginally influenced by um, by evolutionary theory. Um, so, so yeah. generations upon generations upon generations of death prior to an Adam and Eve for him was not a problem. So I'm not sure how he interprets right. his Bible necessarily. Um, maybe he does see it as part of and the natural order of things. Hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, and that comes up. Um, even in the story itself, because you come to find out, you know, a lot of these things that happened on Melicandra or even during the, you know, some of the other stuff that happened in his cosmology um, happened supposedly before there was any life on mm-hmm. Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he, he sets it up that way where it's like, OK, yeah, there these these stories are so old. You You know, your planet was in existence, but there was no life yeah and interestingly the the second book in the trilogy paralandra um takes place on another unfallen earth and it's a reimagining of the garden Mm -hmm. um and the entire book essentially is is framed around uh the conversation between the figure for eve and the figure for satan and their their discussion about whether or not God really said you can't do such and such and and what that conversation would have looked like for someone who lives in innocence and has no understanding of disobedience or its consequences um right and uh so that world is even younger still than earth and that's that's the yeah the planet venus so um that's that's an, another layer to this cosmology where he, he sees that, you know, at least in this trilogy, the world that he's built for it, it doesn't all happen at the same time. Uh, these, right. these worlds and these species yeah. uh, come into existence and sentience at different paces. Hmm. So we've kind of been skirting around it a little bit, but back, um, I know you had a quote from the great divorce that was so good um Um, that kind of played into this do you it was you want to talk about that yeah it was um it it was something to the effect of um there are two kinds of people uh those who say to god thy will be done and then those to whom god says in the end thy will be done and Mm -hmm. um you know it made me think about like how does this apply in this story, especially with some of the characters like Weston mm-hmm. and Ransom um, and some of the differences between how they looked at at that. Um, but I, I was actually, I found uh, somewhere um, that on C.S. Lewis's gravestone, he has... Um, he has a quote that says, men must endure their going hence, which is kind of the the idea of, you know, death and what we've been talking about. But um, it makes me think of the difference between Weston and Ransom and their willingness, I guess, to surrender to uh, this thought of dying or giving of themselves Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so 
what did you think about but that? But it's so Dan? different. Like there, yeah, the difference between those two characters, yeah, and um, their views. Well, one, I've been talking a lot. So, do you guys have any thoughts on that first? <laughs> like, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to just like give a lecture on what I think of this book. Well. <laughs> Well, I just find it so interesting, the idea that, like, you know, for instance, um, we say that Christ came to bring life and and that we would have life and have it more abundantly Mm -hmm. and, you know, have it to the full. Um, But he also talked about dying to self. He also talked about unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, you know, there's not going to be a harvest. So the idea of death is not. You know, there, there. It comes into the Christian worldview in that we die, we die to ourselves yeah. in order to live to Christ. Whereas, and that's that's part of the Christian worldview. Whereas, Weston sort of looks at it as like, well, you know, we all die sometime. I may as well give my life in this what he considers good cause. Yeah. You know, so they they both are are willing to die for their cause, right. and and obviously in the end it comes down to what is your cause? What are you putting your trust right. in? You know, when when we die to self, we know we die to a purpose that is worth it, mm-hmm. you know, and for him, it's worth it. But he, it, the the object itself is not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, um, for me, uh, Becky, I didn't give you a chance to talk. Did you want to say <laughs> answer no, your I, own I, question? I, I want to. No, right. <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say. All right. Um, <laughs> By the end of this, people are going to be like, I've heard enough of that. Um, That's all right. We'll, we'll edit you. <laughs> By the end, you'll be like, fish souffle. <laughs> uh, that's all. I, I said more than fish souffle, people, I promise. Uh, it might be all. the most cogent thing I say the whole time. Um, anyway. So, um, okay. One of... Uh, one of these ongoing themes for C.S. Lewis that is deeply rooted in his theology um, is uh, his critique of modernism. Um, he believed yeah. that, at least to my understanding, okay, again, I'm not a C.S. Lewis scholar, um, but he, uh, he had a strong aversion to some of the the humanistic elements of of modernity um he felt like uh, the 20th century especially you know beginning with world war one and you know a lot of events that happened throughout the the first half of the 20th century um were expressions of men's uh, like humanity's um self-reliance um, that they that yeah. mankind considers themselves to be independent from any uh, higher authority or um, you know in no way are we dependent on God essentially is yeah. the idea of that he that he yeah. was trying to critique of the modernistic society um, he like I said he was a um, he was a 19th century romantic who lived a, like 50 years too long. Um, <laughs> and so he, as much as he agreed with the scientific method, as much as he liked the scientific method, um, and even was influenced in some ways by it, um, one of his ongoing critiques is what is it doing to our souls? And and how is it impacting our 
relationship to the world around us, to one another, and ultimately to God. Um, He wrote a whole book about uh, about it um, that's nonfiction. It's called The Abolition of Man. Um, And so his his critique of the society in which he lived was that we're living as though um, we understand everything, we can control everything, and um, we don't need God at all. Um, and he saw that as one of the, the, the pitfalls of his society, right? So, um, so he critiques humanism uh, in the person of Dr. Weston and, and Divine. I forget if Divine was a doctor as well. He was a professor. Um, interestingly, uh, Divine represented humanism um, more of a base animalistic humanism remember oyarsa ended up calling him at the end he's no better than an animal um yeah yeah it's because he lived for his pleasures he was hedonistic right um everything in his universe was a measure of how much good is this going to make me feel you know um right and so he he was a critique of the of the pleasure-seeking side of humanism and then Dr. Weston uh, represented, uh, at least I believe so, Dr. Weston represented kind of a critique of the intellectual side of humanism. Um, yeah. You've probably heard his, uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, quote about, how did it go? It was something about um, how, uh, man, I'm going to butcher this quote, but it was something essentially saying that, um we are so condescending to previous cultures because we think we know everything like they Mm. couldn't rub two thoughts together to get a logical, (laughs) a logical sentence. Mm. Yeah. Um, Because we live so much later and we have more information, we consider everything that came before us to be stupid and dumb. Um, Mm. And uh, so he, Dr. Weston is the epitome of that. And and you remember at the end when he didn't know the language, he sounded like a savage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. You know, C.S. Lewis is flipping the picture on its head to say that, okay, this um, this sense that um, we as a society feel like we are the epitome of culture and the epitome of intellectual thought, and um, you know, we we really are no better than a bunch of savages just because we think we're living independently doesn't doesn't mean that that's a good thing. <laughs> Um, yeah. So Dr. Weston, just a little more of that. The first will be last and the last will be first thrown in there for you. Yeah. So, um, so those two men together end up being his, his, um, uh, analog for all of, of 20th century modernistic thought and arrogance. Um, and, uh, now I've totally forgotten what your original question was, <laughs> but <laughs> just kind of comparing the two, you know, the two worldviews. Yeah. And, well, I think Ransom was in there too, Beck, but I don't know. Um, yeah. So he's trying. He's he's trying to critique the worldview uh, of 20th century thought, and um, right. He, he's he's intentionally trying to say we still um, older cultures may have understood this better. Innocent cultures certainly understand it completely. Um, we live at the 
complete behest of the one who literally holds all molecules together. Hmm. Um, And no matter how, how much we think we know, how powerful we think we are, um, we're all just, you know, little kids uh, beside the one who holds all this together. So um, Weston is trying to serve his, his, um, his slavish understanding of humanity is on our own. If humanity is going to continue to exist forever and they must, um, then we have to be the pinnacle of all things in all societies on all worlds. And um, we must spread out. It is our destiny to conquer the universe. Hmm. Um, And for, for C.S. Lewis, that seems to be kind of the, the end game for modernistic thought. Um, humanity exists forever which is contrasted obviously by the hanal of malachandra who who say no the end of my existence i get to go live with the old one (laughs) and even as a whole society if a whole world oyarsa says that that whole world is about to to pass away um and you remember weston says i'd rather be on satan's side if you guys are all okay with dying yeah then i'd rather be on the bent one side um Mm -hmm. because his Mm -hmm. worldview is humanity must live forever and i will serve that end uh, with every drop that i have because i I am humanistic thought humanity is the end game Mm -hmm. um so that's at least that's what I think he's trying to do. I think it's so interesting, you know, hearing this um, conversation and then just thinking about how um, how relevant his writing is even mm-hmm. for today. It's mm-hmm. just amazing to mm-hmm. me that, you know, he wrote these things in the 1930s, 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. And... And we're still today, we still have these issues and struggles and he's speaking into these things that are just so relevant. I just think it's amazing. That's one of the reasons I do love his writings, like, um, you know, The Great Divorce, Mere Christianity, like all these things where it's like, this could have been written today, you know? So, um, that was just uh, something I was thinking as you were talking, but just, yeah, I I love that. He gets to the heart of humanity so well, but at the same time, sometimes you will see hints of what time period he is writing, for instance, when, you know, they're in the spaceship and he gets this glimpse of what he thinks is the moon. Mm. I love that Mm. scene. It's so fun Mm. to me because he he wrote this in... um, in 1938, I believe it was, was the first Mm. publication. Um, We didn't have satellite footage of Earth. Yeah. We didn't, you know, like we didn't. So he, 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 he writes ransom as seeing what he thinks is the moon and then realizes it's too big for the moon. Yeah. And I just love those little glimpses here and there throughout that are so interesting and kind of place it. Okay. Yeah. We're still, we're back in the thirties here, but the rest of it, the, the humanity side of it, like the heart of right. man and where the heart of man um, is bent. Right. Is just so you know he's nailed yeah. it for for all time periods. Mm-hmm. You know, was that yeah. your favorite part of the book, Lore? What was your favorite part? No, I 
I did like that part. I, I thought that was really kind of fun. It was almost a little bit jarring and pulls you out of the story for a second because you're like, why would he think? Oh, that's right. Like, yeah. Like, you sort of forget the world did not start with him. <laughs> right. Like, when, when he was writing this, we didn't have a clue what Earth looked like from space. You know, like, I mean, you know, anyway. But, um, but no, my favorite part is, did, did you, were you... Were you wanting my sure. favorite part? Is yeah. That... <laughs> yeah. Go oh, ahead. Okay. <laughs> sure, I'll share. Um, no, my favorite part, and Dan, you touched on it, um, it's the conversation between Weston and Oyarsa. And, I mean, literally, he looks like such a fool. Yeah. He looks like such a fool. And he's, 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 he's actually, he's literally shaking glass beads in the face of these angels, yeah. you know, and, and, um, you know this 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 race of of humans or, or sentient beings mm. who are just clearly worlds above him and everything that matters. And he's literally shaking glass beads in their face like he can appease them with his little trinkets. Yeah. You know, and 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 it's just, it's it's just so like oh my word, that's exactly what we do when we think mm. that we are are just we're, we're the we <laughs> are the end all. Humanity is we know what we're doing. We got this. Mm. And it's like what you said, Dan. No, you are literally being held together. Yeah. Yeah. By by God, yeah. by God at His at His will at His um, pleasure, mm-hmm. and He, can, you know, and Oyars is like, well, I could unbody you right yep. now. Yeah. I mean, that would that would not be a problem for me, you know. Like, and that's just Oyarsa. That's not right. God, you know. Like, um, and I, I just love that he's he's he just looks like such a fool, and it's almost kind of comical. Yeah. Um, like you said, the way he's speaking, yeah. Dan. Where he's he sounds like an angel, and yet he's still so condescending. You know? Right. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. And Ransom's like, you might want to just take it down because <laughs> you're sounding really stupid. You know, like um, I just I love that part. It's just such a burn to all of yeah. us. Like, right. Take it down a notch. You know, even like when, even when um, uh, Weston has ransom translate for him and he goes on this big long speech oh yeah about how wonderful humanity and he kinda... is and oyarsa's like oh yeah and he sort of yeah okay <laughs> all right um wait have we dunked him enough yet we yeah to go put some more cold <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly so dan obviously this that. book means a lot to you uh yeah. your son's middle name <laughs> is ransom so yeah. you know you this book has some significance to you um can you share with us like what it is about this book that you know either inspires you or has drawn you to it yeah um well many of the things we've already talked about definitely have um you can tell i like it (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yeah at least i hope so um (laughs) yeah uh so i mean just as um someone who i totally agree with c.s lewis that that um stories convey truth and that um you know when you understand an author's cultural milieu um that that story can be used to to convey great amounts of truth i think jesus did that in the gospels um, the more you understand mm-hmm. Jewish thought and culture and religion in the first mm-hmm. uh, the first century, the more his parables just blow up off the page for you, mm-hmm. um, because he's he's interacting with 
really, really deep theological truth and arguments that are happening in the world all around him. But he doesn't right. say it by, by, hey, I agree with Rabbi Hillel and I, I agree with Rabbi Shammai. He says it by saying um, there, there was a Samaritan traveling from, you know, <laughs> and, and, and he tells a story. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. sure, you need a little bit of context to be able to understand all of the depth of that truth. But once you understand that, the story can can convey it in a guttural way that reading a systematic theology doesn't always manage to get across. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I love that about C.S. Lewis. I think that's that's fantastic. I don't like the subjectivity of it for... Um, trying to understand exactly what he believes theologically about certain yeah. things. There's there's a lot of subjectivity yeah. <laughs> to it, and that's why people debate it endlessly around and around, um, which actually brings me to the point of your question. Uh, yeah, I did name my son uh, Ransom as one of his middle names because uh, in Matthew 20, um, Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, and obviously Ransom, in some sense in this story, is uh, a Christ figure because he was taken to this planet, Malachandra, by Weston and Divine because they believed that uh, the creatures on that planet wanted a human sacrifice. And so Weston and Divine came back to Earth. They misunderstood them completely. But they came back to Earth looking for someone that they could use as a sacrifice um, in order for them to colonize that planet and then eventually maybe even be able to take it over. Um, So they needed a sacrifice who would be a ransom for all of humanity to reestablish itself on a whole new planet. Um, So in that sense, um, Dr. Ransom... Um, was used as a ransom in in a similar way to what Christ considered, um, you know, his own work to be a ransom for many. I'm not going to get into the weeds of substitutionary atonement versus, you know, penal substitutionary atonement versus the ransom theory versus uh, Arrhenius. Like, like, I'm not going to get into all of that stuff. Yeah. But... Um, in in one although sense, spoiler in Paralandra, mm-hmm. you know it, things change a little bit too. Oh. So if you haven't read this series, um, Paralandra is interesting in that because you know substitution. You're talking about the difference between substitutionary mm-hmm. and all that. Well, that kind of flips a little bit in Paralandra, mm-hmm. where he um, starts to realize, um, you know, I I can I can lay down mm-hmm. my life here. I have that mm-hmm. option. Yeah. And and it and it's and it's fully his choice. It's not like, okay, I was brought here out of my, you yeah. know, you know, outside of my will and that kind of thing. So, not to give too much yeah. away, but I, I love that he then goes on and switches yeah. that in the next book. So yeah. anyway, sorry. Total so side <laughs> anyway, the, the, that's that's one of um, the more interesting parts of this book to me is um, just how. Uh, He's used as though he's a ransom, and then a kind of figure, it, you know, is supposed to be a, a Christ figure, a role, even though it's misunderstood. Um, and it's part of his spiritual awakening by the end of the story. Um, so, yeah, that's that's why I, I like it so much, because it, 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 it reminds me of Jesus, basically. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's just a, a beautiful picture that Ransom was taken mm-hmm. unwillingly, whereas Christ did it. Uh, right. Completely and wholly yeah. willingly. Right. So. Beck, do you have do you have any favorite part, or has has this helped you to have any more favorites, or or helped you to? That is a good question. Uh, do you I feel like a, well, can I can I give my rating, and then I will. Yeah, let's do. Yeah, is let's do the ratings. Right? Give go ahead. Give us okay. your rating. So, uh, I would say that this book was hard for me to get into and to understand until I started to talk about it. Um, and there's still a lot there. Okay. You know, there's a lot that I'm sure I yeah uh, haven't even scratched the surface of understanding. But... Um, well, that's the fun of C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. But that's also a, a reason why I love this podcast, because I can talk through some of the things that either were confusing to me or I was like, you know, like I like the discussion part of it, I guess is what I'm saying. So I enjoyed this discussion of it more than my first read of the book. Hmm. I, I think I definitely will go back and read it again because coming at it from uh, having read it once. (laughs) That's a win. (laughs) Not only, you know, reading it once, but also having this background knowledge now and then reading it again, I would say I would probably, you know, I might give it a different rating after I've read it another time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that's how I felt with Furious Hours, so I totally get it. Yeah, definitely. So I, I would say first reading... No discussion. I would have probably given it an eight o'clock, which is a three. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I am curious now that I have, you know, talked about it. If if I do go well, when I do go back, because I really do want to read it again. Um, what I can, uh, what I can draw from it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so there's my long yeah. explanation for that. <laughs> All right. So what would you give it, Laura? So, well, you know, I actually, um, it's probably not a big surprise, but I, I really do love this this entire series. Yeah. Um, it's so different from his other writings yeah. just because it's, um, sci-fi and so it's you know he's 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 setting up a whole different world in the you know in the sense that you know you've got Narnia and he's got that whole world set up there and this is just kind of a whole different yes. twist that I just love um so I don't think it's any surprise for me it's definitely a piece right. um but I could see where for sure some people might read through and go like okay especially since there is quite a fair amount of um, sort of descriptive narratives yes. that, like I said, for me anyway, can sometimes be hard to picture, uh-huh. you yeah. know, because he's describing, a, you know, a, a whole different planet, right. you know, and all of this. So so I can I can certainly see where it might be a little off putting to some mm. people, especially if you've read Narnia and you're going, what is yeah. this? You know, um, but I, I love it. I just mm. do. Um, it's so interesting to me. And have, having written some of this stuff when it really was. You know, he was almost on the ground floor of science fiction, practically. You know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of 
I mean, as far as my knowledge, and again, I'm not an expert on sci-fi, but I, I even remember reading somewhere um, him calling these scientifiction or scientifiction. Oh, I don't even know how to okay. say it. So, the, so they didn't. They hadn't even formalized the name huh. sci-fi. Yeah. You know, H.G. <laughs> um, Wells. So I just and, love and that. Jules Verne and all those yeah. guys. They, yeah. They, he definitely pays a little tribute to some of those guys, but he was still yeah. pretty early yep. on. Yeah. No, I no, I know there's definitely like there was stuff prior to this. It's not like he was the first, but um it yeah, it's 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 I, I just love that. Huh. That it comes in kind of early early ish on the sci fi scene. Yeah. Um and he, he just he uses it so beautifully to his purpose. I so yeah. Dan, what about you? What um what on on our one to five scale, which I don't know how familiar no, you are, but you can just say one to yeah. five and we'll tell you what it means. So, so wait, is 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 one um, coffee sludge and five is <laughs> cowboy yes, coffee? Exactly. Oh wait, that's still what? sludge. <laughs> one what cowboy coffee? Do, you gotta know. Our brother teases us about our coffee, which is total. I totally get it because we are such nerds about our coffee. Anyway, you guys don't um, even have Starbucks but, on the rating scale, right? Well, right? <laughs> you're right. You're right. Okay, we don't. so that means it's worse than I know. Sludge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I forgot. You sludge know? is good. I keep forgetting. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just give us your rating. We... <laughs> Why don't you write the all of you podcasters, uh, podcast listeners out there? You should trust your hosts implicitly. This is coming from their brother. (laughs) It should be said, he's our older brother, and he would mock us to a scorn over anything he possibly could. Correct. And I am not, I mean, that's just the nature of being an older brother. So (laughs) I would rate this right up there with Folgers. (laughs) <laughs> that high <Ooh. laughs> so okay so it, it is a one to five scale so one is Folgers five is Pete's coffee because we just okay. like Pete's and then in between you know we, we can get into no, it no, no. <laughs> we, we have a feeling we know what you're going to say so. no, I, I'm, I'm over the moon for it I enjoy this story I love the author <laughs> Um, I, he make he always makes me think, and he stretches me even when I yeah. disagree with him completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I give this a a five if that's the top of the scale. <laughs> it's, a pizza, exactly. it's, yes, a it it's a pizza, folks. It's a pizza. It is. It's a pizza, folks. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, I, I yeah, I I know it's not everyone's you know, cup of tea, but I, I do enjoy this one. And I, I like the entire, um, the entire trilogy as well. Um, there's just so many interesting things that come out even in the, and if, if you really want to get it like off the chain, you got to read that hideous strength (laughs) and try and figure out what in the world he's doing with Merlin in the book. Yeah. What is that? I mean, what is that? That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) I know, we, but I need to call you later. Cause seriously, what <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> it's it's some interesting stuff, but yeah. Anyway, um, 
So, yeah. So, thanks for listening. Um, our next book pick is going to be Lady Susan by Jane Austen. And um, that podcast will drop on Tuesday, September the 1st. So, that's just enough time to grab the book and join us for the discussion. Um, if you want to connect with us on social media, we have a Grounds for Discussion Facebook page, as well as a website, groundsfordiscussionpodcast.com. You can find all our past podcasts, as well as future book picks, um, recipes for our desserts, and you can even contact us if you have questions or suggestions for future book picks. Um, and if you want to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we would definitely appreciate it. Um, thanks for being on with us, yeah. Dan, especially I'm last minute. I'm very yeah. happy to do it. Any <laughs> chance I get to talk to my baby sisters. <laughs> yeah. Especially about C.S. Lewis. I mean, come on. It's, it's two beautiful things coming together. So, Dan, before so, we go, um, is there anywhere that people can connect with you that, um, you know, yes. where they can find out? about you or your organization that you work for absolutely um if you want to find out anything about me you can uh go to danieljprice.com um and there are links there to um, some of my past teachings and uh links to the archives of of some of the things i've taught about uh, back when i was still a pastor and preaching weekly as well um, and if you're interested at all in the ministry of the Friends of Israel and what we do, um, please go check out foi.org. Um, we, we're doing some really exciting stuff all around the world to care for, uh, to care for Jewish folks, uh, to try to bless them. Um, so as it says in Genesis 12, um, so we're, we're very excited about what we're doing there. Um, check it out, foi.org. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us on Grounds for Discussion. Where the coffee and the books are perfect blend.